I'm really thankful to be able to bring an encouragement from God's Word to you today. I was reflecting on the last two years since the last time we came here, speaking of which, that was the first Sunday that Sunday that you were meeting back in your building after having to meet in a parking lot, if I, under, if I remember correctly. Thank God those days are over. Um, but if I were to sum up just the last two years since we visited in one word, it'd be honestly uncertainty. It, it was uh, a tough couple years. We had just shared with you the, the miracle of God starting the church in Cat Lake through a man named Scotty who was on his deathbed, we thought for sure, was going to pass. Was not necessarily a strong believer or anything, but through Wilfred coming and praying for him and a Bible verse showing up in a sticky note later on in, a, in his house, God brought him off that, that deathbed. He, he was eating again full of energy, um, definitely not fully healed, still had this condition in his lungs, but said, I know God has kept me alive for a reason, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life proclaiming him, and I want to I wanna share with my family and friends, and that's how the church was born. And we were just amazed that, I mean, this is stuff I had been praying for since I became a missionary, and yet still struggled to believe was going to happen. But then after that update two years ago, Scotty passed just about a month or two later, and it was really hard. He was one of our closest friends, and just the, the energy behind the gathering, he was uh, the kind of the keeper of the microphone. He just knew who to let speak and knew who not to, and uh, he really kept things going, and, and he passed, and it really was a punch to the gut to the church. And, and we struggled. It was, there was uncertainty there. Is, is this going to continue? Because it can't be dependent on our families. And then there's the uncertainty of physical things. My wife went through some very, very hard um, issues with her back to where she could not pick up any of our children, um, barely make it through the day. And then I went through something with my back too where I was walking with a cane by the end of the day. And it was, it was horrible. And I was wondering what, what God was doing. There's so much uncertainty of what's going to happen. And even earlier this year, I watched my second son, Graham, leave on an airplane with my wife because... Uh, of some severe pain he was having, and just sitting there taking care of the, the other three, just feeling helpless, uncertain what's going to happen. And then there's emotional uncertainty that has happened where there has been threats to the safety of my wife, my kids, uh, by a man who is in many senses a predator, uh, a danger in the community, just wondering what, what's going to happen with these things. And this story this morning is, is as much for me as it is for you. It's, it's, a, it's a story from God's Word today that is found in Acts 12, so I invite you to turn there or swipe there, whatever you're going to do. It's a story that we could trust and learn so much from about faith through uncertainty and how God just loves to surprise His people with what we deem as impossible. So I'm going to read that story before we pray. And this really is a story I love personally as a missionary because it highlights that the mission of the church cannot be stopped because it's Jesus' mission. So let's read Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. 
And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along this one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But, the, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea to, and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's command, uh, chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an, orient, uh, an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Lord, your word is amazing. It not only teaches us what is right, what is wrong, it shows us your son, Jesus. It shows us our need for him. It shows us his amazing work at the cross, that he is out of that grave, and it shows us how he changes our lives and puts us on a mission, and that mission cannot be stopped. Help us to see that in this text today, understand it, and walk it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's just so good to listen to the story. It's, it's exciting, but it's also quite tragic. I and mean, there's a lot of death in this story. This story is definitely not G-rated. This is, this is an adult story. 
Even the beloved apostle James dies in this story, who had been with us this whole time on this whole journey with Jesus, and afterwards through the Spirit, he's now dead. And in this story, we see a little bit of this apparent faith in God by the church in their prayer, but it turns out that it might just be some doubt and fear covered with religious action. And this is a story about grace in the face of total uncertainty, that if we come to understand and believe, it will allow us as well to to act in faith in times of complete uncertainty, that God knows exactly what he's doing. We know that before the Spirit came at Pentecost, there was a major lack of understanding of the lostness of man and the greatness of Jesus. I mean, Jesus' own disciples, if you read, they were clueless most of the time. But the Spirit coming gave man, men, women, and children all the ability to understand the implications of the gospel and how to live by faith. The Spirit coming changed everything. However, as you'll see in this text, that the Scriptures also regularly highlight that Spirit-filled people can still be completely lacking faith and trusting that God can and will do astonishing things. And this includes us. We have to admit that we're one of those people who truly doubt that God could still do and will do astonishing things in our lives. And this story in Acts is a good reminder that God is committed to his mission despite the lack of faith in his own children. And this story reminds us that even as gospel-believing, spirit-filled people, the early disciples were not prepared to be astonished by the same type of miracles that happened at the cross, the same type of miracle that happened at the cross. We could look back and see the cross as a miracle, but going forward, they still lacked the faith to know that that type of miracle is still going to happen as the church expands. So let's take a brief look at this story together to see how God wants to speak to us today. Just want to read the setting again really quick to get us back to the beginning. It says, about that time, this is verse 1 through 3, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So this is one of the last stories in Acts before the gospel is about to explode to the Gentiles. And so while the believers are in the middle of this relief mission to help those in Judea prepare for a famine, Herod, different Herod than the one that accused Jesus, he makes this bold move to kill James and attack the other believers. It's a little bit of this David and Goliath thing happening here. He's, he's standing up against God and his people. And since it pleased the Jews, Herod puts Peter in prison, and he's intending to kill him as well after the Passover. So if you, if you look at this, it might, and that might not seem like a huge deal, but this, to the people at the time, this was a major threat to the mission that needed to be accomplished. This is James and Peter, two key figures in the gospel going forward. Two people that were entrusted by Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The gospel had not gone to the ends of the earth yet, and churches had not been established, but here's James dead and Peter about to die. So we're going to see what God does to change that threat. And it's two main things. We're going to see God free his worker, Peter, and we're going to see him take out the persecutor, Herod. And these things, these two things, the, the disciples had the inability to do themselves. They could not free Peter, and they could not take out Herod. And quite frankly, they believed that those two things were impossible. They struggled to believe that. So like I said, similar to when Jesus was killed, James' death 
please the Jews. So Herod's on this persecuting high, right? He's like, I'm going to keep doing this. They like that. I'm going to keep killing these guys because these guys are a threat to my power. So Peter was arrested, and he's going to be brought out after Passover to be condemned to death by the same Jews that just were happy about James's death. So what we have to realize as we're, we're reading this setting here, that this is bad. This is certain death for Peter. That's the picture that's being painted for us. But it's interesting because back in Acts 5, an angel had just freed some of the apostles from prison. Right? They were freed from prison, no death. But the beginning of this chapter does not have the same tone at all. James is dead. He's gone. No angel, no deliverance. He's killed with the sword, and now he's in heaven with his Savior. Happy for him, but it's a grim situation for the church. So it leaves us asking, what's going to happen next? Where is this going, God? So look at the way Luke explains Peter's situation to make it even more grim for us. I want you to focus on verse 4 and 6. In verse 4, he says, When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads, which is four squads of four, a squad was four soldiers, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And then verse 6, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So we're left asking, it looks like Peter's situation is going to end the same as James. Luke wants us to see that there's nothing that can be done besides a miracle. He's got four squads of four soldiers, two guards, gates, sentries. He's giving us this picture of he is surrounded by the enemy. He is trapped in this prison. Nothing can be done here except a miracle. So what do we see is the response of the church in light of this grim situation sandwiched right between verse 4 and 6. Let's read it. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was being for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So what kind of prayer is being made? It's earnest prayer, right? They were praying praying really hard and hoping against hope that God could do something amazing. Sounds really good, right? We might stop there and say, let's make this a sermon about prayer and how we need to pray as a church. What does earnest prayer look like? Here's five points. We can't come to conclusions too soon, though, about their faith in this earnest prayer. And we'll come back to that. So you'll have to wait. Let me see what happens next. Verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10 says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out, went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. So Peter, all of a sudden, who is in this grim situation, surrounded by these guards and gates and sentries, was miraculously brought out by this angel. But what I want us to notice, because that is amazing, 
What I want us to notice is verse 11. Look at how Peter responds. When Peter came to himself, other translations might say, when Peter came to his senses, he said to himself, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter had to come to his senses. He had to come to himself to understand what is happening. He couldn't even believe it. That's what it's saying. And this is Peter, the famous disciple, right? The famous disciple Peter had trouble believing. You know, he, he's pretty amazing because here he is sleeping the night before his death, or soon before his death at least, whereas before we would have seen Peter freaking out when things were going wrong. Now because he knows Jesus is resurrected and the Spirit's in him and he knows what the gospel means and that he's going to go to heaven, he's sleeping. But at the same time, as the angel's doing all this stuff to him, he's just thinking, I don't know what's happening, right? He's slapped by an angel, the chains drop off, the gates open by themselves, and he's thinking, this is the best dream I've ever had. That's what he's thinking. He thinks he's seeing a vision. I honestly think that he did not expect to be saved from death. I think he was okay that he was going to die, but he did not expect that this was going to happen. Because remember, he just saw his friend James lose his life for Christ. And it's amazing that God, even after surprising Peter with the resurrection of his son and forgiving him personally for, for denying him, even after all that, he still did not stop surprising Peter with what's possible when you're part of a forever kingdom. I love that. He's not done with Peter yet. He's still going to show him, look how much I love you. Look how much I could do. God is showing that the mission cannot be stopped even if you're about to die. And Luke records Peter's reaction as he's writing here because he wants his audience and he wants us to know that doubt is normal. Doubt is real. We can't put God in a box of what, we can, what he can and can't do, but the reality is, is most of us would not expect that this was going to happen. And most of us in grim situations in our own lives, we don't expect these amazing things. So Luke wants us to see that the famous apostle Peter had doubt. It's normal for us too. So when he finally comes to it, when he comes to his senses, realizes not a dream, revision, he decides to go and tell the church what just happened. Let me read verses 12 through 13. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. So Peter, he's released. The gates are open. The angel's gone. Could you imagine what do I do next, right? I'm not going back in the city. I need to go tell somebody. We all know when something amazing happens to us, right? We go and tell somebody. It completes our joy. So this is the theme of the whole book of Acts is completing our joy by going and spreading the gospel. He's becoming a witness of Jesus and his power, specifically of what just happened. So he comes to the house with all these believers at Mary's house. And this is one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite parts in the story. God did exactly what they were hoping and praying for. They're making earnest prayer for Peter, and I imagine that's, don't God allow his death to be smooth and painless. I don't think that's what they were praying. I think they were praying, God, somehow release this man from Herod's grip. But look at the response of these spirit-filled, earnest praying people. Ready? Verses 14 through 17. Recognizing Peter's voice, 
This is Rhoda. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But mentioning, motioning to them with his hand he, to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So he gets there. He knocks on the gate. This lady, Rhoda, hears his voice and runs to tell others. She knows this is Peter. I, I could hear his voice. She's so excited. She goes to ch- tell the rest of the church. And what do they say? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Rhoda, why would you interrupt us praying for Peter to be released to tell us that Peter's released and at the door? Do you get what's happening here? They're saying that's ridiculous. They were literally praying, it says, as this news reached their ears, but they think there's no way it could be true. What kind of earnest prayer is this, right? It's praying really hard, but lacking one major thing, faith, right? But let's not put ourselves above them, though. We are them. How often do we earnestly pray? And I can say for myself, it's not as often as I'd like, but pray just like them and still don't expect God to do something astonishing. Just like me with the church starting in Cat Lake, I've been praying for that, but when it happened, I had to like, really think, am I dreaming? Is this a vision? We often, as Christians, use prayer as a coping skill rather than an act of faith in a relationship with God. Prayer is not a coping skill. It's not just another thing we do, like buying something at the store or watching a, a TV show. Prayer is an act of faith in relationship with God. But how often do we forget that? We forget the gospel in our earnest prayer and in our weak prayer. But what's the good news in this passage? There's good news in this passage. Despite terribly weak faith in prayer, God still answers prayer. Despite terribly weak faith in prayer, God still answers prayer. Isn't that incredible? That's good news for us. He wants us to be astonished by his own faithfulness, not how much we believed in our prayers. He wants us to see that the apostle, Peter, is not the hero in this text. Who is the unlikely hero in this text? The unlikely example for us is Rhoda. Rhoda's the hero. She believed just by hearing Peter's voice, and she ran in her joy to tell the others. What a great example to follow. Rhoda. On that note, another amazing thing about this story is how much it reminds us of what God did back on Resurrection Sunday. What are some of the gospel similarities we see between this story when Peter is brought out and when Jesus is brought out of the grave? Peter's freed from death, just like Jesus was freed from death. Who's the first... He's revealed to, it's a woman or women. Just like in this story, Jesus is not believed upon until he is seen by the apostles, just like they don't believe it's Peter until they see him at the gate. They thought he was a ghost when Jesus rose from the dead. They thought it was Peter's angel at the door. There's absolute astonishment. And then 
Just like Jesus said, go and tell these things to the world, Peter's saying, tell these things to the brothers and sisters. There are so many similarities between this and after Jesus resurrected. So the question is, why? Why does God do this? Because it's another beautiful opportunity for the believers to grow in their understanding of their own lack of faith and remember that the same power that brought Jesus from the dead will be demonstrated as the gospel explodes to the nations. That power is not dead that brought Jesus out of the grave. That power is now living in every single one of his resurrected people. All of the people who have his spirit, that power is present. It's a power that cannot be bound by human rulers. And this is something so relevant today. We get so caught up in what's happening in our own nation, in our own little kingdoms, that we forget that Jesus is still on a mission and that no one, no matter how much we don't like them or how powerful they seem, can stop his plan. Jesus freed Peter that day because he was not done with him. He freed Peter to show these proud leaders that they had no real power over his church. And he did this to amaze the women and men and children that all would hear the story and needed to hear the story because they needed encouragement to press on themselves in the midst of such persecution and such uncertainty. But let's not forget that Jesus allowed the sword to fall on James just as intentionally as he opened Peter's prison door. Jesus allowed the sword to fall on James just as intentionally as he opened Peter's prison door. So the, de the death of James is just as crucial for us to remember as the re rescue of Peter. And we're left asking, why did God let James die? The question's relevant because at some point, most of us, all of us, will find ourselves in suffering, facing death, pleading for deliverance, wanting to live longer, and not receiving what we think we're asking for. And it points to a difficult lesson that all of Jesus' disciples must learn. Jesus often has different priorities than we do. What, what may feel desperately urgent to us may not be urgent to him, at least not in the same way. And Hebrews 2.15 says that Jesus has, through his death, death, freed us from slavery to the fear of death. Just remember that as you are facing the same situation someday, that we don't have to fear that. He is in control. But now let's see how God turns the tables on this persecutor. This persecutor who did kill James, failed to kill Peter, but is now going to be taking care of himself. Verses 18 and 19. When the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So after Peter can't be found, the guards are now the ones dying, which is just amazing that it's going from killing a righteous man to, to killing these wicked guards that worked for Herod. And then the next thing that God does is to take out this wicked leader himself because he was still a threat to the church prospering and spreading around Jerusalem and God wasn't going to have it. So verses 20 to 23 say this. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon 
And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So there's some conflict going on in this country. And the people know they need Herod and his, his people, this country, for food. So they come over to him and they, they're just, they're, they're sucking up to him, right? So they, they get an attention, they get, you know, his attention and Herod speaks to them and they're like, oh, the voice of a God and not of a man. They just want food, right? These people just want something from him. So they're praising him. But what, the, what Luke wants us to see is that after allowing a crowd to praise him as a God, it says that an angel of the Lord struck him and he became infected with worms and died. And what I find amazing is that two men in this story are visited by angels. One is this humble gospel worker sleeping in a prison about to be killed. He's struck by an angel to wake up, get dressed, and leave. And the other one is this man dressing himself in royal robes, kind of the opposite of Peter here, being praised as a God rather than praising God the way Peter did, he's struck by an angel only to die and be eaten by worms. I thought about titling the sermon Touched by an Angel, but you probably don't remember that show, do you? Okay. So what's the direct result of that happening? What's the direct result of Herod's death? Right after Herod's death, this is the most repeated phrase in the whole book. Look at verse 24 and 25. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod was struck down, breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. One went to the grave, the other continued to flourish. And, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, which was stated at the beginning before this text, they're trying to bring money to the church in Judea, Judea because of a famine that's coming. Herod put a stop to that, not intentionally to that, but because of the death of James and the imprisonment of Herod or uh, Peter. So they couldn't do even this practical thing of bringing the church money to get, get food. But now, not only is the word of God continuing to go forward, they're taking care of the church's practical needs too, food and money. They completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. They've finished their relief mission, and now they're going to go to other nations to continue to spread the word. The story started with the death of James and ended with Herod's death. It started with Peter, this ambassador of the word, in prison and bound, and ends up with Peter unbound and the word flourishing. So this teaches us, this story teaches us that we have to be careful not to be too impressed by temporary worldly triumphs over the gospel. Because as you could see, if you oppose Jesus you lose. Don't be too impressed this week, this month, this year with temporary worldly triumphs over the gospel because as you could see, if you resist, if you oppose Jesus, you lose. Anyone opposing you because you stand for Christ will lose. Though it might not feel like it, they will. So be bold. Be courageous to spread the word of God and let 
God do the work to grow it because he's really good at it. So we see the, the admission's been accomplished. The worker's been freed. The persecutor's been taken out. But there is still another application for the original audience as well in this passage, as well as to us. Does anyone see this important contrast happening at the end here between Peter and Herod that's being set up by Luke for the church to see here? This is important. Why did Herod die, does it say? It doesn't say he died because he, he you know, tried to kill Peter because he killed James. It says he died because he did not give the glory to God. So interesting. Why would he give the glory to God? Well, it's showing us the real problem of sin. Peter's humble response after he was freed, when they're all excited, is, shh, go and tell the other believers. I tell you, if that was me and my sinfulness, I'd probably be like, guys, I must be something special because Jesus just brought me out of the prison. I must be a good preacher, right? Like, we would probably be tempted to take the glory. We'd want to go share that with everybody and probably highlight a little bit of ourselves. Peter doesn't do that. Shh. Just go and tell the other believers. He lets the church do the talking so that he doesn't even, he's not even tempted to take the glory for himself. But then look at Herod. The voice of a God and not of a man. He doesn't stop them. He loves it. Those of us who have faith, even though that faith could be very weak, we need to give glory to God when astonishing things happen, not ourselves. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. Having to update churches and share what's going on in Cat Lake, it's amazing what he's doing, but I, I really want to make sure you understand that it's not me, Matt, Jen, and Ashley. It's the Holy Spirit using weak, broken vessels like us. He's good at it. It's his mission. So whatever it is, whether it's victories with your own kids, your spouses, at your jobs, give glory to God. Don't take it for yourself. He is the one who is doing all good things in us. My younger sister spent over a decade of her life walking in complete darkness. Complete darkness. And though I prayed for her and continued to point her to Jesus every chance I could get, I honestly did not believe or think anything would change. Then one day she called me to share that God had just opened her eyes and then she'd been born again. Just amazing. Like, if you just knew that whole story, there's not time to tell it. I just wept at God's surprising miracle, but still struggled to believe until that point that he could do that. And he did it, and now she's a sister in Christ, one of my best friends. It's overwhelming grace that we receive through Jesus. That's the attitude that I want to have all the time, is ready for God to do anything. Because I'm still going back to Cat Lake uncertain, but I want to be ready for God to do anything because he can and he will because his mission cannot be stopped, whether it's here in Transcona or in, in, Winnip or in Cat Lake, or back in the United States, wherever we end up. His mission cannot be stopped. So to conclude with what God wants us to walk away with from this passage, pray earnestly, yes. In your lack of faith, pray earnestly, but expect to be astonished. Give the glory to God when he does astonish us. And remember not to fear the wrong things like ungodly leaders or death, but fear him who has the power over our souls. Remember that every day for the ministry God's given you, 
wherever that is, whatever it is, and know that the gospel will go forth despite our major lack of faith because that is the gospel. He meets us in our weakness. God wants to use us each and every day, each and every one of us for his mission. So be like Rhoda in her joy without seeing because none of us have seen Christ face to face. So without seeing, go and share what God has done. It will multiply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are guilty of being like the church who, who, who definitely have religious action. We, we have some faith and we, we do things like pray and, and minister to each other, but if we're being honest, it's, it's sometimes and often without true faith and relationship with you, knowing that what we are praying for is really possible. When we pray, we always give you an out in prayer that if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Help us, Lord, to not do that, to just sincerely pray and know that you will answer prayer according to your will, but help us to be ready to be surprised at whatever your answer is. Help us to be like Rhoda, without even seeing, and her joy went and shared. Help us to not question your resurrection or question your mission, but know that your spirit is alive, he's active in us and around us, and that you will work through us despite our weaknesses, and our uncertainties. Thank you that you are close to us, that you love us as sons and daughters, and that your mission cannot be stopped, and that we get to be a part of that. Help us to be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.